Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. Good to have you all here with us. For those of you who are new and visitors here, uh, we're doing a little series, which someone gave me the title of it last week. We're going to be in the Psalms this summer. And uh, they said uh, they had heard someone else preach a series called Summer in the Psalms. So I'm calling that the series that now I just I'll just shamely, shamelessly uh, take whatever I can, and uh, I thought that was a good idea because I didn't have a title for the series, and we're gonna do Psalm 23 today, and uh, I thought you know at the beginning of the week I was a little nervous. I've never preached a series in the Psalms, so last week was my first uh, time ever preaching on just the Psalm, and uh, at the end of it I thought, oh no, now what am I gonna do? Like, uh, and so I thought I one Psalm I had wanted to do was Psalm 23, so we're gonna do Psalm 23 today. But I was a little nervous at the beginning. I thought, oh, like, can you really get a full message out of Psalm 23? I wasn't sure. And, uh, but now it's going to be a two-parter anyway. So we're going to get to the first three verses today. So, uh, but you know what I want to do with this one? This one, is, um, this one is such a famous, good psalm. What I'd like to do is I'd like for us all to stand and read it together. Can you do that with me? And Because uh, it's, just, it's just good. And uh, there's so much good stuff in here. And there's promises in here. And so I want us to read it together. And even just as we read this scripture together, I think God's going to minister to us. So let's read together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just remain standing and I'll pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm, and we thank you that you are a shepherd. And I pray that today, Lord, there's many here today who just need encouragement. They need a touch from the shepherd's hand. And I pray that you would touch us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, before I get started, I just felt something I had never thought of before when I read this psalm, and I just felt, actually, it's a really important point that needs to be made today. That the Lord is not everyone's shepherd. David does not write in this passage, he does not write, the Lord is everyone's shepherd. He does not write, all, everyone on the earth can take comfort in the fact that the Lord is their shepherd. He does not say that. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And I think in this day and age, it's important that we start, there's going to be some wonderful promises. I promise you, don't leave. There's excellent promises coming up in this message and in this psalm. They're amazing. But before we get there, we first have to ask the question, is the Lord your shepherd? Because I think this is one of those popular psalms. It's, it's, it's sort of ingrained itself into the culture. I mean, people who haven't been to church in years or who never went to church, probably most of them in this country know the line, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's something that people put up on their, on their walls, in their basements. It's, it's, it's just because it's, it's a feel-good statement. And so even people who have no desire to follow the Lord, 
who have cut out huge chunks of his word, they can, they'll still put that line up there because it makes them feel good. There's, there's something about it that the Lord is my shepherd and I feel good and I feel like everything's going to turn out for me because the Lord is my shepherd. The only problem with that is everything is not going to turn out right and fine for everyone. And so I wanted to start this message off by saying, is the Lord your shepherd? Because I, I just don't want anybody to get the false impression that this is just, you know, I can take this passage regardless of how I live, regardless of who I'm following, whether I ever submit my life to Jesus or not. This is just, oh, God is my shepherd and everything's going to be okay. Not everything is going to be okay for everyone. And you know, this same book of Psalms that celebrates that God is a shepherd also celebrates a God who is angry and holy. And we see this in Psalm verse 7. And the reason I bring this up is because we either have to take this whole thing or we have to chuck the whole thing. And one thing our culture is a little bit uh, tended to, has a tendency to do nowadays is to say, these are the parts I like, and because I like them, these are the parts I'm going to pay attention to, these are the parts that are true, and these are the parts I don't like, so these are the parts I'm going to get rid of. Either this is God's word or it's not. If it's not, chuck it. Why are we getting up early on a Sunday morning, right? And, but if it is God's word, and he's God, and he made the universe, then it really matters what it says in here. And so on the one hand, we can't take Psalm 23 and say, oh, it makes me feel so good. We can't feel good about Psalm 23 unless we take everything in the psalm seriously. And one of the things the psalms say is this, Psalm chapter 7, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And the Hebrew word there for indignation is za'am, and it literally means enraged. So yes, God is a shepherd, and we're going to come back to that. But at the same time that we realize that God is a shepherd, there's no question. That is an aspect of who he is. We must also realize that this same Psalms, the same person who wrote Psalm 23, also wrote Psalm 7, also says that God is a God who feels rage every single day. Now, towards who? If we keep reading, verse 12, if a man does not repent. A person who wants to live their life for themselves, that wants to determine for themselves what is right and wrong, that wants to twist God's ways and make them their ways and put God's stamp of approval on it as if God has to approve what man approves. This is a man that does not repent and it says that God feels indignation every day. He does not feel like a shepherd towards those who are not repentant. And then he says this, God will wet his sword. And somebody going, please, stop reading. (laughs) Right? Stop reading. Okay? I didn't write this. This is the Bible, and this is what I mean when we come to this thing. Either it's God's word or it's not, and we can't grab a hold of the promises if we won't also grab a hold of the warnings. And so it says that God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. That's not very nice. Verse 14, behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull, his violence descends. Now, the reason I feel this is important to say is when we read a psalm, okay, when we read Psalm 23, why this is important is some people want to take a psalm like Psalm 23, and they want to turn God into a two-dimensional stick figure, 
And they want to say, these are the two or three traits I really love about God, and that's who God is in all his fullness. But what you have to realize about the Psalms is no one psalm gives us a full picture of who God is. Each of the Psalms is a snapshot of God, various aspects of him, various times, various situations. It's kind of like, I'm a dad, i got four kids, if you would take a picture of me at various times doing various things, no one picture would give, you the, would, would give you the full picture of who I am as a dad and my character and how I am with my kids. For example, the other night, if you would have taken a picture of me in, in my basement, you would have gotten a picture of me playing Uncle Balzac with my kids in the basement, okay? And some of you are wondering, what in the world is Uncle Balzac? Um, it's a game I invented a few months ago with the kids. It basically involves... Uh, me and the four kids running around the basement like a bunch of hoodlums, throwing balls at each other and yelling Uncle Balzac over and over again for about 20 minutes to half an hour. Um, when I invented it, I really thought this is sort of a one-time off game, but all of my kids continually asked for, for this day for, to this day, from youngest to oldest, okay? Now, if you took a snapshot of me playing Uncle Balzac and you said, this is who Chris is as a dad, you would have a snapshot of me at one point in time. If you tried to make that all of me, you would say, Oh, he's a goofball, and he just loves to have fun with his kids, and there's no other... But the thing is, that is not who I am all the time. If you would have seen me last night trying to get Boaz to bed, it's a lot different than just goofball, okay? <laughs> there's sometimes I have to be stern, right? There's sometimes I have to be serious. There's sometimes, you know, they're crying, I gotta hug them. I'm, I'm, there's many aspects and facets to who I am as a dad and as a person. You can't reduce me to one snapshot. So you can learn something about me as a dad from a snapshot, but you can't take that snapshot and make that everything. The same is true with the Psalms. The same is true with the Psalms. Psalm 23, we are going to learn some absolutely wonderful, awesome things about God. But I don't want us to become unmoored, and I don't want us to say God is always only a shepherd, no matter what I do, no matter the decisions I make, you would be wrong. And the reason I feel like I have to warn you is because, again, in our culture, that is the message. You don't have to worry. God just wants to comfort you and empathize with you in your sin. And he most certainly does not. And if we have love for our culture, if I have love for you, if I have love for myself and my family, if I see a train coming down the tracks and I know that around the corner, the, the, the tracks are wrecked or something, or there's rocks on there, and the train's going to come off, it's going to have an accident. I'm not going to wave to the train as they go by, hey, have a great day, feel good about yourself. That would be a wicked, wicked, evil thing to do, would it not? And in the same way, we cannot, in our culture, knowing that around the corner is a judgment, and knowing around the corner that God is much more than just a shepherd, he is also a holy judge, we cannot just wave at everybody as they go by and say, that would be a wicked, evil thing to do. We have to warn where there's a warning and then comfort where there is comfort. And so the question with Psalm 23 is, is God your shepherd? If he is, there's some wonderful promises. And the good news is that God welcomes anyone in his mercy and goodness, he will welcome any sheep into his flock. He will welcome any sheep into his flock. Anyone who will repent. 
Anyone who will repent, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what sins you continue to struggle with to this day. If you will repent, he will take any sheep into his fold. But we must turn from our sins. Let me read you from the New Testament. 1 John chapter 3 says this. The Apostle John, not Pastor Chris, the Apostle John says, no one who abides in him, that's God, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him, that's God, or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. In other words, already in his day, people were deceiving about this. In other words, there will be people who come along and deceive you and say it's possible to be one of God's children and to embrace sin. It is possible to embrace sin and be part of God's children. He just loves you no matter what. John says, not Chris, John says, let no one deceive you. And then he goes on. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I just time out right there. I'm going to read just a couple more verses. The reason the Son of Man came was not just to empathize with us, was not just to forgive us. He did come to forgive us. Thank God. We talked a lot about that in the Romans series. He did come to forgive us. But this idea that he just came to forgive us, now we can just keep living in grace and sinning however we want. That's not why Jesus came, just to forgive. He came to destroy the works of the devil, including the ones that we are doing, to stop us from sinning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, I know what some of you are thinking after I read that passage. First of all, it's like, no one who sins is of God, right? Like, I love how John just all the way out, okay? Is he saying that if we're not, you know, some of you are going, well, I sinned yesterday. I did last night too. I had to apologize. Okay? And so you're sitting there and you're going, I struggle with temptations. I'm in the midst of struggling with a temptation and an addiction right now. Is this passage saying that I'm not one of God's children? That's not what John is saying. We can go to 1 John chapter 1 and we see this same apostle John saying if we, are fa- if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He knows that we're not perfect. The point in this passage is not that you have to be perfect in order to be part of God's children. It has to mean that you've repented. It's about desire. Nobody who wants to keep on sinning, nobody who rebelliously flaunts their sin and says, absolutely, this is what I'm doing regardless of what God's word says, no one like that is born of God. There is certainly absolutely huge, infinite amounts of room for weakness where we struggle. We come to God and we say, oh God, I'm stuck in this sin. And he says, I know and you're my sheep. I know, this isn't about perfection, but it certainly is about desire. Do you desire to be free of your sin? Do you desire to make Jesus your Lord and Master? If you desire, you're his sheep, even if you fail many, 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 many times. One of the things I find so encouraging about the fact that God is our shepherd is that 
If he's our shepherd, then one of the things we are is sheep. And I don't know a lot about sheep, but I went and visited a sheep farm, one of our properties guys that we used to have here a few years ago was a sheep farmer. Um, and just from my limited experience taking the kids there, I know this, that sheep are not that smart. They can be stubborn. They can be frustrating. And one of the things I love about the fact that God is our shepherd is if God is our shepherd, it means he sees us as sheep. And sheep aren't perfect. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are stupid. Sheep are stubborn, just like us. And Jesus says, you're my sheep, and he loves us. It's not about perfection, but it certainly is about repentance. Repentance means I want him to be my master. I do not embrace sin rebelliously or stubbornly, even if I do fall into it often in weakness. Amazing. So let's keep going with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? I hope he is. If you've made a decision to follow him and you want to follow him even in your weakness, then you are his sheep, and then the rest of these promises all apply to you. So the first promise I want to look at this is this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now for those of you who are younger here, or uh, you know, just whatever, maybe a little bit challenged in the English language, it's a little bit old English here. You might look at this and you might say, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And Because many of us, when we think of the word want, we think of desiring something, right? Isn't that true? So you might read this passage and you go, what does that mean? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I want a lot of things, right? I want a nice vacation. I want a bigger house. I want a better job. I want jewelry for my anniversary, whatever it is, right? I want a bigger engagement ring than what he gave me. And... Uh, so the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want lots of things, okay? Okay, so this passage of Scripture is not saying, the Lord, because the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want anything in the terms of desire. It's using it more in the old English sense of which, which means you shall not lack. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Now even that brings up questions. Uh, certain aspects of Christianity would teach I shall not lack, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, means I'll always have lots of money and lots of time and lots of abundance of everything I want and need in my health and time and money. Um, because the Lord is my shepherd, if I have enough faith, I'll, I'll, I'll never be needy, I'll never be poor, I shall not lack. Now, is that what this passage means? Absolutely not. I mean, I can just, all we have to do is get out of our comfortable perspective and life here in North America and go around the world a little bit and we've met with some of the underground church pastors in China for example and uh, Pastor A has visited you know some of their underground seminaries and things like that and we could show you people who are following Jesus all out and have lots of faith and they live off of you know cabbage and meager amounts of rice all they own is the clothes on their back and there's a lot of things in their lives if we would look at them we would say According to us, they lack a lot of stuff. They lack food and basic nutrition and clothing and shelter. They lack a lot of things. We go all around the world. We can go to Uganda, and the Christians there lack a lot of things that we would consider to be essential. So when David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, what on earth does he mean? I mean, even if we just stay in this chapter, just a couple of verses, which we'll touch on next week, um, a sheep that goes through the valley of the shadow of death is going to lack some things. I mean, that's why it's called the valley of the shadow of death. Some things are not going right in the valley of the shadow of death or it wouldn't be called the shadow of death. So certainly there's times when we will lack things in this life like 
health or energy or time or money. We will lack things. So what on earth does David mean? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Let me tell you what it means. It means that if I'm his sheep, I will never lack anything the Father thinks is good for me. If I am God's sheep, I will never lack anything the Father thinks is good for me. You know, I know people in this church, uh, several, you know, a handful of people actually, uh, who have gone bankrupt in their lives, okay? And, uh, I mean, I've known more than that, but I, I, there's certainly a few in this church that I know who have gone bankrupt, different ones. And, you know, sometimes people go bankrupt because of stupidity, but the ones I'm thinking of right now, sometimes people just go bankrupt because that's just what economic cycles, things happen, you work hard, it doesn't work out, they go bankrupt. Now, if you would look at that situation, a Christian going bankrupt, you'd say, like, right there, God didn't provide. I mean, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And yet here's this person who... They were doing the best they could. They were following God. They didn't do anything stupid, but they went back bankrupt. Like, that just looks like a classic example of lack. God didn't take care of them. But I know a number of these testimonies personally, and in a number of these cases, through the trial that was this bankruptcy, God did incredible things, releasing people from bondage, putting families together in the stress, um, putting people on a new course in life that now they are just so happy they're on that course. And I could show you a bunch of things. And with some of these people, I'm thinking of a few different ones who I've sat in my office with and prayed and talked through and, and all this sort of stuff. And they wouldn't want to go back now and change it because what God has done in their life through that just absolutely blew them away. On the surface, it looks like God didn't provide. But actually, they went through something and then God gave them something much better. So I shall not lack doesn't mean in this lifetime you won't have times sometimes where you feel like, I lacked something. I wasn't taken care of there. What it means is that ultimately, even in a situation like that, the only reason God would let you go through it is because he wants to give you something better. I mean, I think back to when I was a little kid. We lived in southern Ontario. My grandma Lowen had heart stuff. She came out. London uh, Hospital back then was a really important hospital in the country for doing uh, open-heart surgeries. And so she came uh, to visit us, and then she got an open-heart surgery. And in that surgery, and I forget what all was going on, but it was stuff with her heart, but the doctor literally takes a saw and cuts her chest open, cuts the bone, pulls the ribs apart, and then uh, works on the heart, okay? Now imagine someone from like a few thousand years ago, or even a few hundred years ago, is brought forward in time without any context given, and sees this doctor taking a woman with a saw, sawing her chest open and opening up her ribs. What does that person think? Okay, that person thinks, this is gruesome torture, right? Because what that doc- is what that doctor doing did to my grandma and to many other people who have gone through this. On the, if you just look at that little piece of it, it sure looks like he's hurting her, and he is hurting her. Isn't that true? He, he did hurt her. I mean, cutting open your chest, that is a very painful thing. It took her a long time to recover from. That is a painful, traumatic thing she had to go through. But here's the thing. She voluntarily signed up to do it. Why? Because the doctor had to cut open her chest to do something for her that would give her life, that would give her many years added onto her life, many experiences, allowed her to see her, you know, all of her great-grandkids born, and all kinds of things that in the end, he had to do a short-term work of pain that if all you could see was this, it's like, 
brutal. That's torture. That's horrible. That doctor doesn't care about her at all. But if you have the big picture, you know that doctor had to give her some short-term pain in order to give her something absolutely amazing that he couldn't give her without cutting her open. Now here's the difference between my grandma back then getting a surgery and us in everyday life. She could see the big picture. She knew what the doctor could do. She knew what the doctor was going to do. She knew what the doctor was trying to do. She could voluntarily sign up and say, it's absolutely worth it. I'm going to go through a month of a lot of pain and recovery, and it's going to be really hard, but on the far side, it's going to be a million times better. Meanwhile, us, so much stuff, we can't see the big picture. So we're on the operating table, and we wake up from the anesthetic momentarily, and God's cutting our chest open, and we go, oh, you're hurting me. This is, oh, this is gruesome. Why would you do this to me? You're not taking care of me. And the father says, there's only one reason. See, I'm your shepherd. The only thing I want to do to you is good. And there's a long-term good that if you could see the big picture, you would see there's only one reason for this surgery, and that is I want to give you more life than you can even imagine. But in order to give you more life than you can imagine, I have to cut your ribs open and pull them apart and do all kinds of really painful, traumatic stuff to you. And so this is not a promise that you'll never hurt, that you'll never be poor, that you'll never have too little, but it is a promise that God is in heaven and he has a list because you're his sheep. And he has a list of a whole bunch of amazing good things you can't even imagine. That's what Paul says, that he is preparing for us a weight of glory we can't even imagine. So he has got a list of blessings he wants to give you. Now with that list of blessings goes a list of surgeries, unfortunately. But the father says this, you know what I, you know what I take so much comfort from too? He's got blessings you and I would never even think to pray for. But you know what? You don't need to even worry that if you don't pray for them, you're not going to get them because he's the shepherd and you're just the dumb sheep. And you're just a dumb sheep and he's going to do it to you anyway because he promises that you shall not lack. And that means on his list of all the good things he wants to give you for eternity, the big thing, you know what he, and now some of you are thinking, I don't know if I want all his blessings because doesn't he just want like spiritual blessings for me? I don't know if I want to go through all that pain to be spiritual. Do you know what God wants for you more than anything else? He wants your eternal happiness. Did you know that? He wants your eternal happiness, and he knows what will truly make you happy in the long term is to be absolutely one with him. But he, what he craves for you is your eternal happiness, prosperity, and well-being. But getting there in the next life is going to take some pain in this one. But we can rest assured that because he's our shepherd and we're just a dumb sheep, that I shall not lack anything the Father thinks is good for me. You know, I love Psalm 84, verse 11 says this. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. So that means in the midst of your family struggle right now with your kids, and you just can't, how's this going to work out? That financial struggle you're in, that marriage struggle, you can trust this promise. No good thing does he withhold. It might be short-term pain. But because if you are his sheep, even though you're weak, but you're his sheep and you're following him, you can trust. No, you will not lack anything good that he wants to give you, which means he's going to turn what's happening in your life for good if you'll just trust him like a sheep. Amen. And one more thing it means that I shall not lack, I shall not want. It means you will never lack anything you need to carry out 
whatever assignments and tasks God has called you to do. If God has called you to do something, now, you might have some dreams and plans for your life, and I'm going all for it, and you want, if God's not behind it, he doesn't promise to resource it. So you might jump out there, and you might get a few bumps and bruises and say, hey, God didn't take care of me, but let me just tell you this. Anything God asks you to do or wants you to do, it's his task, it's his responsibility, he will resource you for that task. I mean, I just think of the disciples. He says, I want you to go to the other side of the lake. Then he goes to sleep in the bow. Big storm comes, and they're freaking out. Oh, we're going to die. He gets up. You have little faith. Why little faith? Because he told them to get to the other side, which meant if he told them to get to the other side, they were going to get to the other side. If he's given you something to do, it doesn't matter. You say, but it's too big for me. Of course it's too big for you, because if it was small enough for you, he wouldn't get any glory. So yes, he gave you too much. He gave you too many kids and not enough energy, right? He gave you too much of this and too little of that, and you think, I can't do it. If he gave it to you, if he wants you to do it, he will most certainly resource it. Philippians 4 verse 19, and my God will supply every single little tiny need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now again, this does not mean that you always feel like he has resourced you, but somehow you get through and you turn back and everything he wanted accomplished got accomplished. You might not feel like you have the time to do what he's called you to do. You might not feel like you have the energy to do what he's called you to do. You might not feel like you have the talent or giving or gifting or wisdom. You might not feel like you have the people to pull off what he's called you to do. But if he's called you to do it, just be a dumb sheep. And somehow in the end, his purposes will be accomplished. And you can trust him because the Lord is my shepherd. If he's your shepherd, I shall not lack anything I need to carry out the assignments he's given me. That's the first promise, I shall not lack. Second promise is he restores your soul. Let's keep reading. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is the kind of God he is. He's a shepherd, he's not a slave driver. He restores my soul. I think a lot of people have this picture of God that he's constantly yelling at them. And he's mad at them. Some of you have this picture, and every time you want to have your devotions or you go to church or whatever, you have this constant feeling of guilt and condemnation. God's telling me a stream of things, and I'm disobeying, and I'm not keeping up, and I'm not. Here's the thing. That's not how a shepherd operates. It doesn't say here that God is continually telling you 100 things you have to do and 100 things you shouldn't do. God is not speaking in a continuous uh, uh, flow of do's and don'ts. It says here, he leads you beside still waters and he restores your soul. He's a shepherd, not a slave driver. He's a shepherd, not a slave driver. And he's got a shepherd's heart, not a taskmaster's heart. And I think a great exercise for this week, I'm going to put it on the weekly challenge at the end. I think a great challenge uh, or a great assignment for us this week would be every week, I've been doing it already this week, is when you start your devotions, just take a moment to consciously picture him as a shepherd and you as a sheep. He's not a taskmaster. Just to get that, that, that truth into you, that he's a shepherd and you're a sheep. He's not beating you from behind. A shepherd leads from the front. He's not yelling all kinds of instructions from behind. Do this, do that. He's leading you from the front and he just expects you to follow. And if you follow him, he will restore your soul. That's what he wants to do. The fruit of the Spirit is not condemnation. Oh, he'll convict 
where you're hanging on to sin, he'll convict. But did you know that the conviction from the Holy Spirit is the sweetest thing anywhere? I'd rather have a conviction from him than just silence. When he convicts you, you get hope. You weep about your sins and you don't want to do them anymore and you hang on to him, but it's not a condemning thing. If your whole spirit is just filled with condemnation and anxiety, you can just start to say no to those things. I'm not saying that they'll go away that easily, but you can say no. You can verbally begin to reject them because he's a shepherd and he wants to restore your soul and he will lead you by still waters. We need to reboot the picture of God that we have in our minds. One of the signs that a person has been with God is that their soul is at rest. That's one of the signs. That's what David says here. He leads me beside still waters. One of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians is love, joy, peace. One of the signs that a person has been with God is that they have peace. They've come to rest. Of course, it does not say that God will make your outer circumstances peaceful. Absolutely not. But Jesus could sleep in the middle of a storm and he wants to make us people like that. I love the way Paul describes this truth in 2 Corinthians. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. So we do not lose heart. Why don't we just stop there for a moment? I wonder how many Christians today are losing heart. There's all this screaming and yelling going on in our culture, not to mention all the problems we have in our own lives and marriages on the rocks and financial issues. And I talk to Christians all the time and Christians, I'm tired. I'm tired. And Christians are giving up and they're compromising. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. You know, the Bible told us all along we were going to have troubles. I think we're actually warned about that in here. It actually says in here that it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. There's your good news for the morning. The Lord is my shepherd. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. The Lord is my shepherd. It's going to get a lot, lot worse. And our brothers and sisters around the world are all going through it right now already big time. So before it gets better for us, it's going to get a lot worse. So my question is, if you want to give up already now, what are you going to do when the real heat comes? If you want to compromise and bend now, what are you going to do when the real pressure comes? If you want to give up now, if you're tired of fighting now, what are you going to do when the actual war starts? We're hardly getting our toes wet right now. Paul says, I mean, he went through the heat of it, and he said, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. So you may have huge marriage struggles, financial struggles, huge health crisis, not to mention just the culture yelling and screaming at us all the time, though our outer self is wasting away. Look at this. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our inner self. This is, this is just a new, Paul's New Testament way of saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. Though my outer self is wasting away, though everything is falling apart all around us, though the pressure is intense and I feel like I'm about to die and I can't handle it anymore, my inner self is being renewed. By the way, not once a week at church. My inner self is not being renewed once a month at some retreat or once a year when I go on this big uh, thing, my inner self, how often did Paul need his inner self renewed day by day? The Lord is my shepherd. One of the benefits of him being your shepherd is that every day he can lead you by still waters and restore your soul. Now the thing is, if you don't let him lead you by still waters, he can't restore your soul. 
And the reason a lot of Christians, you want to know why Paul didn't lose heart. There it is in the last part. Why did Paul not lose heart? He went through persecutions. Crazy, crazy. More, 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 more. Always more. Tons of beatings, shipwrecks, whippings, the whole works. How come he didn't lose heart? Because inside, he was being renewed. God was his shepherd and he was a sheep. And he allowed God every day to restore his soul. There is an inner place, a secret place in your inner man that nobody out there can touch. Doesn't matter what they do. Doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter what they call us. They can do absolutely whatever they want and at some point, they're going to. But there is a place inside each of us that nobody out there can touch. And the devil can't touch it and nobody can touch it. And you're in the midst of your marriage crisis. You're in the midst of your whatever crisis and you struggle with things. And you struggle with temptations and the devil comes after you and condemns you. And people call you names and stuff to pressure, pressure, pressure. There is a place inside of you, your inner man, the spirit that nobody, not the devil, nobody can touch. And you can go to that place and if you will go to that place, the Lord will lead you by still waters and he will restore your soul and you will be renewed from the inside out and your outward self can be wasting away but you will have strength not to compromise, not to give up, not to get depressed and despair but you will have strength for joy. Why? Because God gives us strength from the inside out. He gives us strength from the inside out and you can always tell the difference between a Christian who has been with God and a Christian who hasn't. Both are disturbed by sin. Both are disturbed by the things going on all around us. Both have problems in their lives. But one is agitated by all the stuff going on around them, and one is at peace. And by at peace, I don't mean they just have no emotion. They might have a passion for righteousness. They might have a passion for, for God's word. They might, have, they might be very passionate about things, but they're not panicked. They're not agitated. Why? Because they've allowed God to shepherd their hearts and restore their souls. The end result of letting God shepherd your heart is that when you get the peace that comes from his spirit, you will be victorious. Every time I see a Christian who's, had, who's got that peace because the shepherd has shepherded their soul and they've allowed him to lead them to still waters, every time a Christian with that peace is victorious. It's just how it works. When you get alone with God in the inner man and he restores your soul, you don't lose. I'm not saying your circumstances all get better, but somehow, regardless of what happens, you can't lose. Once you've got a hold of his peace in your inner man, you will come out of whatever it is you're in victoriously. Amen. Listen to what David says here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We've lost, many of us have lost our ability here in the West to just get quiet and be with God. Many of us have lost our ability to just get quiet and just be with God. I'm not even just talking about devotions here. A lot of Christians in North America even have devotions now, but somehow we've even made devotions noisy. So I quickly rush through my 20 minutes of my devotional, I read my thing, I answer a couple of texts and emails from work that I just have to get to in the middle of it, and then, whoop, and then I'm into my, into my day, as if that makes any kind of difference in my life. He leads me beside still waters. 
Do you want to know how David got through all the junk he got through? It's actually really simple. It's not a five-step program. It's really, really simple. Have you ever paid attention to all the junk he went through in his life? When he was a teenager, he was attacked by lions and bears. How many of you have been attacked by lions and bears? That was a good start to his life, right? There was the whole Goliath thing. And then after that, it's a whole bunch of downhill. He goes to work for the king. The king decides he hates him and starts trying to kill him, not once but multiple times, okay? He loses his wife over this. He goes on the run and lives in caves for 20 years. 20 years. Caves. Going to the bathroom in caves, sleeping in caves, being betrayed by townspeople, running into towns, hiding there, being given up to the king. He goes through betrayal, death. He finally becomes king's, uh, king. Uh, then there's civil war. Then one of his sons rapes one of his daughters. That's ugly, okay? Another one of his sons then kills the son that raped his daughter. Then that son starts a civil war, tries to kill David. That son gets killed, okay? This is, the, in addition to all the stresses of life, he murders a guy, loses another kid because of that. I mean, this is a life of just, how did this guy not become a basket case? Like, how did he just not lose it and just go absolutely stark, raving mad? I probably would have just gone nuts. The stress, in addition to the, the responsibilities of a whole kingdom, how did David make it? Talk about my outer self wasting away. How did he make it through that kind of stress? We don't even comprehend, most of us, the kinds of stresses he went through as a matter of course. At one point, his whole family got kidnapped and his men wanted to stone him. And these are intense things. What do we see again and again and again throughout the Psalms and throughout the stories of David? It's how did he make it through his stuff? Was it a complicated plan? Was it six or seven things he had to choose from? He did the same thing every time. He got still with God. He got still with God. Just go through the Psalms. Just read through the Psalms and find how often David is in trouble and every time it's the same thing. And then I went to the house of the Lord and I, he led me by still waters. He restores my soul. This is how. That's how Paul did it too. So we do not lose heart. How come? My outward self is wasting away. How come you're not losing heart? Because I'm being renewed inwardly day by day. I win my victories not on the outside but on the inside when I still myself so that God can restore my soul. When I allow him to do that and get myself quiet enough to allow him to do that, then I have victory. Stillness is essential. Look what David says in Psalm 131. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a wean child with its mother, like a wean child is my soul within me. I don't know what that part is really all about, but verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Look where hope comes from. First, you have to calm and quiet. You have to let God lead you to still waters in order for him to restore your soul. That was David's secret. That was Paul's secret. Look what God promises in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, Listen to this. Now, this is just profound. We all know this verse, but this is just profound. In light of what David talks about with him being our shepherd. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. You're not saved through panic and working harder. You're not saved by working harder to get out of your situation. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. Let God lead you to still waters. Look at this. In quietness and trust is your strength. How are you going to make it through your complicated family issues? You're not going to make it through by figuring it out on your own. You'll never be able to figure it out. 
You will only make it through by being, getting alone with God and quieting your soul until he can restore it. And once he restores it, he's going to give you your peace and you're going to be strengthened from the inside out and you will walk victoriously through that situation. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. Well, let me leave you with this challenge for the week again. Since we're in the Psalms, I would challenge you again. I know hundreds of you have been doing it, and uh, it's just awesome, is read a psalm again each day. Read a psalm each day. In addition, whatever else Bible reading you're doing, do that, but, but read a psalm each day. Spend some time in the psalms. Like I said before, take a moment when you start your devotions this week to consciously, we need to reboot our picture of what God is like. If he's your shepherd, if you've given your life to him and you want to follow him, imagine yourself as a dumb sheep coming to the shepherd. He's a shepherd, you're the sheep. That's how you're coming to him. He's not mad at you. Take a moment to consciously think about that before you start. And then here's a third thing. Clear aside a little extra time for your devotions this week so you don't feel rushed. If you're one of those people that likes to answer emails and texts in your devotions, I dare you to try a week without. Just, just go a week where you actually get still. Then give yourself enough time to get still. A, a problem for a lot of people is our brains run constant stimulation, media, texting, cell phone, blah, 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 all day long. And it's fine. We need, you know, we've got to work hard. We've got to be busy. There's nothing wrong with that. But because our minds just run, 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 run 100 miles an hour, many of us, it's going to take you longer than 15 or 20 minutes to get quiet. We don't even know how to get quiet. Take enough time. Give yourself, if 20 minutes isn't doing it, give, it, give yourself 30 minutes. Give yourself an hour. Give yourself more time this week, but try and give yourself enough time that you actually get quiet. Do you know for me it takes 30 or 40 minutes often for all the crazy stuff to get flushed? I'm just like you. Thoughts are coming, things I gotta do, things I haven't done, and I start thinking about today, and I just have to read my Bible, write about things I'm thankful for, and I just have to keep doing it. I'm just calm because I know it's gonna eventually go away, and I just gotta wait, and after 30 or 40 minutes, it's like this peace comes. Some of you, the only time you ever feel that peace is when you're out hunting for a day or fishing. It's that feeling. That feeling. And that's good. If you feel it out in nature, that's great. But we have to feel, we have to find a way, we have to practice to bring that stillness also into our day-to-day -day lives so we can be renewed day by day. Let me pray for you and then we'll sing. Father, thank you that you are our shepherd. Teach us here in this church. Well, we're going to need it more now than ever before. As we move forward into the future, things are not going to get easier. They are going to get harder. We are going to actually have to master this thing that David and Paul figured out, that we're going to have to be renewed by being quiet. We're going to have to get restored in our souls. Day by day, we need to do business with you and your Holy Spirit in prayer and in quiet. I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us through that this week. Give us successes in trying that this week. Grow us. Each one of us is going to be different. How we do it, how it looks, our personalities. Grow us in how you've made each of us. Teach us how to quiet ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.